Welcome to the last episode in our five-part series on the post-pandemic workplace. Today I'm joined by Nicola Rabson, the Global Head of Employment and Incentives at Linklaters, and Judith Sutton, a Managing Associate in our London team. In the last episode, I spoke to Sinead Casey and Beth Parker about some of the ways in which the move away from the physical workplace has impacted the types of conduct issues which employers are seeing. Businesses have also had to grapple with the way in which such issues are investigated and brought to formal grievance and disciplinary hearings. Often it's been the practicalities rather than the law which have complicated these processes. There were of course businesses where working patterns only changed in a small way during lockdown, but many offices and other workplaces emptied at the start of the pandemic to comply with government guidance on working from home. Jude, what impact did this have on investigations and grievance and disciplinary procedures? And did we see a change in the numbers of matters being investigated by employers? There's a distinction between when we first went into lockdown over six months ago and today. Uh, certainly any investigations in train when lockdown was first imposed did inevitably have to be stalled for days or, you know, in a number of cases, weeks, as investigators took a deep breath and asked the inevitable questions of what can we do, but more importantly, how can we do it, with a focus on how to hold meetings and interviews remotely. But that initial shock was in most cases short-lived, as working environments across the country quickly shifted to the new remote normal, and the approach to investigations quickly changed. Webex, Teams, Zoom all helped to facilitate getting investigations quickly back on track. Uh, from my personal perspective, the volume of investigations we've been involved in hasn't changed materially, as our clients have, to the extent they can, carried on business as usual. And with that come the current common issues that are the subject of investigation or grievance and disciplinaries. Um, I think what has changed is that there's been a shift in some of the issues that would be investigated where they're related to being in an office environment. And clearly for a number of clients, those individuals are now working from home. Um, I think the other thing that's changed is the amount of time HR or ER need to commit to the coordination side of these processes, um, whether that's creating and, and distributing soft copy bundles um, or co coordinating people's availability around their other commitments at home, um, but also the way that they offer support to those tasked with undertaking the investigations, as well as those who brought complaints um, or are being investigated themselves. That's really interesting and ties in with my discussion with Sinead and Beth yesterday. There seems to have been a change in the types of behaviour being reported and how this is occurring, but not necessarily in the level of complaints. What were some of the practical difficulties that employers faced when investigating complaints or carrying out disciplinary and grievance hearings remotely? I think one of the, the biggest challenges was the sudden shift to evidence um, or investigation packs being provided and prepared in soft copy, uh, not the more traditional hard copies that we've got very used to both preparing and distributing to, to the parties. When we first went into lockdown, that did give rise to practical challenges. Um, but I think consistently we've all adjusted. and I do think that will be a lasting change in, in how packs are prepared ordered and managed in soft copy and, and how they're shared. But I think when people are dialing in to a video conference, the importance of having 
proper soft copies that are user friendly, so paragraphs are numbered, pages are numbered, has been incredibly important and possibly something we haven't given as much attention to um, before now when you could refer to a tab number in a, in a hard copy bundle very easily. Um, gathering evidence wasn't in a, a bit self problematic because in most cases any evidence is in soft copy anyway and, and working from home didn't uh, materially impact the collation process of that evidence. Um, the second thing was people's availability, particularly in that challenging time when people had children at home or other caring responsibilities at home and there was a need to work around people's commitments and the understanding of those. So I think getting someone into a, another office on a different floor of an office building for an uninterrupted two hours was in reality much easier to do than getting someone to have two uninterrupted hours at home. And I think it was working out what other people's challenges were and working around those. Um, people's health, um, dealing with interviewees suddenly not being available um, or senior stakeholders or decision makers not being available um, because they themselves were suffering from COVID symptoms um, or someone they were caring for was and just having to make quick decisions as to how that would um, or could impact the timetable. Um, obviously that did mean there were some instances where hearings or decisions needed to be delayed, um, but our experience across the board that it was that everyone involved was a very understanding of that, including if they were instructed um, employees, lawyers. Um, another point that from a practical point of view has been very real is poor internet connections um, and when that has happened it's it's working out how best to respond to that and in some cases during a hearing it might be giving someone an opportunity to turn their personal hotspot on and, and get um, back online or converting a video hearing to a telephone conference or potentially delaying the hearing itself to the next day but just a practical point that we found very important is the person who's conducting the meeting needs someone they can contact very quickly to ask what the right uh, next step is. And that's been really important and actually used more than we expected. And I'd, certainly something I would recommend going forward. Yes, Jude, I've probably got two things I would add to your list. I think it's um, important to recognise that you do have to spend longer preparing if you are conducting the interviews. Indeed, we've had training on using different techniques. It is very different to be interviewing someone in a virtual world rather than the real world. You do lose a lot of cues that you would normally have. So actually investing in some training for that if you are someone who is conducting those interviews is very worthwhile. And allowing yourself longer to prepare for the interviews. I mean, normally you would have prep time in any event but I found that we needed longer to prepare for those meetings. I also think it's worthwhile if you're not conducting the meetings, but you are briefing the person, whether that's a disciplinary hearer, a grievance hearer, or an internal investigator, to make sure you spend time on that briefing, ensure that people do know how to use the technology properly, particularly if they're sharing documents or pointing to parts of documents, um, because, things are just much harder to rectify if they go wrong in the virtual world um, from what from our experience to date. I expect that will get better as we get better in dealing with this, these different arrangements. The other thing I think is just worth noting is that 
there is a real danger that meetings get off to a very bad start, particularly if the technology doesn't work or if people just aren't clear with what are the arrangements for dialing in and who's going to be there. So I think first making sure people know when they're dialing in, how to dial in, who's going to be attending the meeting is important so people aren't thrown right at the beginning. Um, and secondly, just making sure that the technology is working. And one of the things we pretty quickly learned to do was actually have a trainee dial in 15 minutes early to all our um, interviews or meetings as part of an investigation, just to test the technology. And then the people when they joined would have someone who could, they could ask questions of, and that person could also correct um, any issues that were occurring or deal with it in actually in advance of the point when the session was going to start. So we found that to be something just very sensible to do. Thanks Nicola and one of the big concerns employers often have is about interviews being uh, covertly recorded. So was that an even bigger concern during the virtual interviews and discussions uh, that you held during lockdown and particularly was it much harder to spot? Um, well, yes, of course, it was really difficult to spot slash impossible, frankly, um, but it really makes it, it very important that you set expectations early on in the process. You need to be very clear about the employer's policy on meetings not being recorded and also what will happen if you discover that somebody does record it so that that in itself could be a disciplinary offence that may well result in termination of um, an individual's employment. I think it's um, particularly important to give employees sufficient warning of any meeting so that they are able to find a quiet place to participate in the meeting. And we, um, at the beginning of each meeting, actually confirm that individuals are in a confidential space. We ask that they are alone. Um, I mean, I think we've all heard of stories of people being in the room with individuals. So we do ask them to confirm that they are alone. We ask them to confirm they are not recording the meeting um, either through the conferencing software or with any other device. Um, covert recording, as I mentioned at the beginning, has been a real concern just because in reality we, we can't eliminate it. All we can do is instruct employees not to record. And, and you know, we do have some suspicions in some cases that that probably has occurred. And how have employers dealt with investigations involving employees who are furloughed? Um, well, well, as we all know, furloughed employees were not allowed to carry out any paid work whilst on furlough, but they remained employees and they were obviously entitled to raise grievances and they could be subject to a disciplinary. Guidance from ACAS that furloughed employees can still be asked to take part in grievance or disciplinary investigations or hearings has been provided. Um, but there are some practical difficulties. For instance, if a furloughed employee doesn't have a company email, well, how, how do you contact that employee to tell them to attend a meeting? So you do have to make sure employees are contactable and make sure they have all the information and documents they need. Um, and that can be tricky for certain types of employees who might not be contactable or have ready access to a computer. Um, in reality, this is much less likely to be an issue now that furlough is officially ending, or at least we believe it's officially ending at the end of this month. And of course, there is a possibility of similar schemes 
um, in the future. And employees have a legal right to be accompanied by a trade union official or a colleague at a disciplinary or a grievance meeting. How have employers dealt with that during lockdown? It's just worthwhile saying the law hasn't changed. So it is really important that employers still offer employees um, the right to be accompanied by a trade union official or a colleague. Um, in reality, a lot of employees have chosen not to be accompanied, but like in the real world, um, some have asked to be accompanied. And I think there's a few things just to note on this. Being clear with the individual who is accompanying the employee about confidentiality and making sure you go through the same points as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, making sure no one's in the room with them, that they're in a confidential space. Um, and that they're not recording the meeting is obviously important. They are, of course, nearly always in two different locations. And so you do have to ensure that you build in times where they can speak to each other if they want to throughout the meeting. Um, and that's normally done via breaks. And I'd just add that there's no harm in asking them before the meeting, how would they want that to happen in practice? Because they may have a view on how frequently they would want to speak to yeah. each other and you can build that into the, the process. Yeah, I agree, Jude. I think the, um, the other thing that we've noticed is in nearly every meeting we conducted where the individual was being accompanied, there was some issue. So either the individual was late joining, they dropped off accidentally at some point or they had to leave early um, or they were in a very noisy environment and we were constantly asking them to go on mute. Um, in all of those situations uh, you can of course ask the employee if they are happy to carry on with the meeting without the um, individual there um, and make sure you record that and if the employee is happy to carry on without the individual who's accompanying them being there by reason of the fact that it's too long or they need to do something else then I think that is fine but make sure you do offer them that option. And looking forward do you think that the experiences over the last six months will lead to permanent changes to investigations and grievance and disciplinary processes? I think the answer to that is yes, inevitably, what we've experienced and what we've learned will drive change. Um, I just think from a practical point of view, the way we prepare for hearings, the way we brief for hearings, a lot of what we've learned has been very positive um, and much more focused. Um, but there will you know, be cases where there is a strong preference to meet people um, in person, particularly someone who's raised a grievance or someone who is the subject of a disciplinary. And there are definite advantages of, of interviewing someone face to face that we are missing when speaking to them over a video conference. And certainly the feedback we've got from clients and investigators is that, that, that it is a different experience. Um, and when guidance, government guidance allows, I can see occasions where employees will be asked to come either into the office or into another building in order to attend in-person interviews for that very reason. And those will come back um, in-person interviews and, and for good reason. Um, it could also make some investigations easier to conduct, and I'm looking there at what we've learnt, um, but also where we've got uh, witnesses or interviewees who are abroad or for whatever reason aren't able to get to a location that we've asked them to get to. Um, and I think what we've learnt is that we will be more readily able and willing to conduct those investigations and meetings remotely.
I agree. I think the other key challenge over the short to medium term is going to be how employers adapt to what is a changing environment and changing government guidance on working from home and working from the office. Obviously, we've pretty recently seen new guidance in relation to office workers. And of course, we've also got people who may need to self-isolate or they may be co they may have COVID. Um, and really, it's going to be a question of how reasonable it is to ask employees to participate in hearings in any particular way in this in the mid medium term and swapping people swapping between in person full virtual or hybrid processes could cause logistical headaches for employers and it may be inefficient to be doing things partially in person partially virtually and it may create quite a lot of planning and pre preparatory time um, if things are switched at the last moment but I think employers are going to have to be ready to respond to those changes and obviously they have proven that they can respond given the huge shift um, that we all saw in March this year. Thanks Nicola and do you have any final thoughts for employers? I suppose my, the only point I would mention is employers do need to think very carefully about how they communicate outcomes to employees who have raised grievances or been subject to a disciplinary, particularly when individuals are at home alone. You do need to plan who's going to tell them and what support you're going to provide. Nicola, Jude, thanks very much for sharing your thoughts today. And this brings to an end our mini-series on the post-pandemic workplace. If you would like to discuss any of the topics we've explored over the last five episodes, please feel free to get in touch with your usual Linklaters contact.